This podcast contains advice that should never be followed, spoilers you'll wish you hadn't heard, and language you wouldn't teach to children. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony R. It's time for Agony R. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony R. Well, Agony R is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that ball. Instead of watching it fall, give Agony R a call. Welcome to Agony Art, the Agony Art podcast in which we try to solve your problems. Not through using our own brain power, of course not, but through using examples from the great art of our age. And when we inevitably fail to solve your problems, at least we'll be left with an interesting listening, reading and watching list to enjoy in your spare time. I'm Liam and I've forgotten how I'm going to introduce myself. I'm joined by Aaron, our literary liaison. And Carl, our movie Maverick, say hello. Yo, howdy. That's how a Maverick would say hello. <laughs> what, what sort of Maverick? Well, there are there are different kinds of Maverick. Like Maverick, there's a Maverick. There's a film called Maverick, starring Mel Gibson, which um, I don't like because I watched it when I had like a really bad fever, and so it's one of those things where you know you can't go back to something. That reminds you of bad stuff. <laughs> so I haven't seen it since. I, I had a bad dream about it afterwards. I felt I was getting run over by Mel Gibson in a carriage. <laughs> is that is that anything to do with the sort of maverick I was imagining, which, which is like a seventies cop? He's a maverick. Yeah, but he's the best we've got. <laughs> exactly. <funny> yeah. <laughs> or you got Maverick from um, Top Gun, who doesn't play by the rules, but he's the best they got. No. <laughs> <laughs> would it would it surprise you to hear I've never seen Top Gun? It would kill I me, Liam. Oh my god! Never have I. Welcome yeah. to the Top Gun special. <laughs> <laughs> Every problem gets solved by Top Gun. <laughs> Every problem can be solved by Top Gun. It's got everything. <laughs> All right. Well, before we begin today, I'd like to make it very clear that we're not actually equipped by any means to solve your problems. All of our problems are sent in by our dear listeners, the Pickles, and they are all either extremely trivial or fictional problems if you do need genuine help then we advise that you go to our website agonyartpodcast.com which has an advice page giving you some ideas of who you can turn to right so let's get on with the episode today and problem one i recently realized that i am incredibly judgmental when i meet people or even just when strangers walk past me in the street i immediately think she's vain or He looks like a moody bastard. And make a rotten judgment about them based on their image. Without even giving their personality a chance. I've always thought of myself as quite a nice person. But if I'm writing people off so quickly, I can't be. How do I get out of this habit? Do you tend to uh, be the judge? Or more often, the judged in your everyday (laughs) lives? How do you... Well... (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, you wouldn't know if you're being judged, would you? Well, you would Um, if you're in a court. (laughs) <laughs> I do find myself in court quite a lot. <laughs> this is a thing uh, we we did like sessions of this at work. It's like unconscious bias, isn't it? Where you you can't help but think something when you see someone. Mm. Mm. The sort of thing where you see someone punching a vending machine and you think that's an mm. angry person when really they probably just mm. had a really bad day. Yeah. And 
you know, it just culminated in this vending machine that wouldn't give them their snack. Yeah, if I saw someone punching a vending machine, I would think that vending machine has stolen their money. <laughs> I would think that, that as deserves, well, yeah. That yeah. deserves a punch. Something got caught on the way down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did well in my unconscious bias training. I had no unconscious bias, it said. And I said that to yeah. my wife. I said, look, I'm like, a, I'm pure. <laughs> I've got no unconscious bias. She went, yeah, because all your bias is conscious. I was like, oh, I was going to say. Did they give you a slip listing your conscious biases? Yeah, I got sacked, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty bad at this, I think. I mean, I think it's not that bad if you don't treat people differently. <laughs> like, in the examples this person has given... He looks like a moody bastard. I do look at people in the street and make mm. snap judgments just based on the way they're walking or you know, if someone's stomping along, I will think, oh, you've had a bad day. All right, Chill out, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think as long as you don't treat them like a dickhead, as long as the, ju- mm. the judgment just stays in your head, I think it can't be that big a deal, can it? We found the lost child in Disneyland Paris. Yeah. And... Um... I said, to, I said to my wife, oh, I think he's lost. He was crying. He was lost in a queue, just going round and round in a queue thing. <laughs> yeah. And um, I said to my wife, oh, go like go and get him. She went, no, well, you go and get him. I was like, I, I don't think it looked right, me going and saying, come on, child. <laughs> you know, so. But um, yeah, he just got lost in the queue. His family were in the queue. Oh, what? They were just somewhere else in the queue? Yeah, but didn't realise he was gone. Fucking bunch Arsehole. of dickheads Arsehole. was he did he look ex- exactly like macaulay culkin he was doing this you can't see this is <laughs> <laughs> we heard the noise Hands on the cheeks. <laughs> yeah. all right well we need to think of a name for judgy mcgee macaulay 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 no! <laughs> <laughs> now as i said in our little um discussion of the problem i don't necessarily think it's a bad thing I think, uh, you know, we all need to be judges of one kind or another because, you know, we need to be picky. We need to, um, first impressions are important. It's what allows you to uh, help lost children, for instance. (laughs) Um, Avoid crazy axe murderers, one of Carl's biggest fears. So I think we all need to be judges in one way or another. I just think that, you know, if you start treating people differently, that's when the problem comes in. And I thought about how can I deal with this in a bookish way? And I thought, you know, you should look up famous judges in literature or um, I thought about using Judge Dredd comics, but I thought Carl might use Judge Dredd the film and I don't want to, well, rather Dredd the film, which we've discussed before. So I didn't want to step on his toes. So I thought, actually, there's a perfect opportunity here. I can whip out. No, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll I'll put it away. (laughs) (laughs) I can whip out literary controversies once again. Aaron's literary controversy time. Is it it the same one? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the same literary controversy that I've been banging on about for two series now. At this point, we're just going to drop in the same audio as last time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, this is the Watties. Have you heard of Wattpad, lads? Wattpad? Exactly. (laughs) 
Wattpad is a uh, is an online social reading platform. It calls itself, on which people read and write original stories. Basically, I think some of it's fan fiction where they're allowed to do that. I think, or maybe I don't know. I think it used to be fan fiction, but the point is, being a member of it, I know that it's actually there's quite a lot of shit on there. Um, <laughs> that doesn't really surprise me to be honest <laughs> no exactly it's the internet you know anyone can contribute um but sometimes you know a diamond shines through and um or if not a diamond then at least you know something a little bit more marketable than the rest of the shit that it's filled with um so there you have a, a an award that they give out i think it's yearly called the Watties, and i found an article on fanfickable Dot com, which implies that fan fiction is still a thing on there. A 2020 article called Are Wattpad's Watty Awards Rigged? So I'm going to give you an example of bad judges. So the Watties have been running since 2014, and this article says that they're very secretive about their judging process. And this article has inside information that makes it all sound a bit rotten. For instance, the 2017 winner, Elaine Uskoski, has a son who's a Wattpad employee. Ooh. Ooh. There can't be many of those as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one person runs it. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a Reddit post as well called The Watties Are Actually Fake, in which an apparent former Wattpad employee said that this is the one Wattpad employee that's quit (laughs) and this other guy took over. (laughs) A former Wattpad employee said that the French version of that competition was judged by just two people who would sort through the 10 to 20,000 entries, just eliminating stories arbitrarily, like based on it's got an ugly cover or it's a bad title because they haven't got time to read them. So... They would blacklist their enemies if you, you know, if they'd, because it's a social platform, if they didn't like you, they'd encountered you before on the website and they didn't like you, you'd just have no chance of winning the competition full stop. They'd make sure their friends won. So I'll link to that article in the show notes. But my point is that in that case, the judges are a bit rotten. As I say, the point, uh, my point is that we do need to be judgmental people. We need to be picky. We need to, you know, if we didn't make kind of snap judgments about things, people would walk all over us and shit books would win literary prizes. But a good judge, as I said to you, Carl, with your zero unconscious bias, (laughs) a good judge (laughs) is fair unbiased and backs up their judgments with evidence and uh, justification so if you didn't do that you'd be a sham just like the Watties are apparently so you're telling Macaulay to um stop someone in the street and say I've, I think you're ugly and this is why <laughs> <laughs> I think you look like a moody bastard <laughs> are you <laughs> uh, no I'm just saying you know you can keep being as judgmental as you want in your head I just don't think you should let it out and don't let it change the way you treat people until their actions back up those judgments you've made. I think you're giving you've got evidence. You know, you're what? I think you're giving you're mixed, mixed messages here because you're in Why? one breath you're saying 
judging processes should be transparent. And in the next breath, you're saying, don't let them know how you're judging them. <laughs> um, well, I'm not really saying the judging process needs to be transparent. I'm just saying that it needs to be fair. <laughs> so, you know, you can be as secretive as you want. The Watties, I'd allow them to be secretive as well if they weren't giving winnings out to their friends. I um, I think I agree with what you just said, but I'm about to disagree with you a little bit. <laughs> because that's what my prep notes say. So this put me in mind of a bit of a banger from 1998. Do you remember, as if you won't, Armin van Helden's You Don't Know Me? You don't even know me. You say that I... Yes, this song came out in 1998, featured vocals by a guy called Dwayne Harden, who also wrote the lyrics. According to an interview with UK Mix in 1998, Van Helden and Harden have been friends since meeting in Boston while Harden was at university there, and they recorded the track in Van Helden's living room. True story, according to... Daniel Daniel Benenfield there. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was in the bedroom. Friend of the show. Oh, yeah, of course. The the room of beds, you mean. (laughs) The the bedding field. (laughs) The the bedding room. (laughs) My point is is pretty short-ish. It's not that short, actually. I've just read the the rest of my notes. Um, But (laughs) it's a pretty simple (laughs) point, because like Van Helden says, or like Dwayne Harden sings, you don't even know these people you, you <laughs> think that they're not living right you, you don't understand them so so why are you judging their life and it goes back to what we said at the beginning i think of series two in the neighbors problem when you know you really have little idea very little idea about what's going on in these strangers lives so your opinion is very uninformed and you know they might feel like Dwayne harden and be very upset that you're judging them they might write their own songs about it and then you'll hear it on the radio and be like I did that. (laughs) And, you know, that might be how the people you judge see you. So maybe you need to change something about your own life and think about that. (sighs) Fun fact about this song. Does anyone remember how it starts? No. No. It's the fun fact going to be that it's like Inception, where (laughs) you don't ever know how a dream starts. You just (laughs) are in the dream. Every that time song. you hear this song, it's always been on. <laughs> yeah, that song doesn't start. <laughs> no, the song <laughs> the song starts. Just wake up in the song. The song starts with a quote, uh, like a God. What's the word? A piece of dialogue, which says, "What is my problem with man?" You ask. No, I ask you, what was man's problem with me? And. <laughs> It's a sample. I remember that. <laughs> it's a sample from a Dexter's Laboratory episode um, from the segment mm. they used to have on there called Dial M for Monkey, which is like a little spin-off about his lab monkey, who is secretly yeah. a superhero. And um, what a show that was! Th- yeah, episode... I used to love Dexter's Laboratory. Yeah, me too. It's brilliant. <laughs> the, the the episode was called um, Dial M for Monkey Simeon, um, and and it has its own moral to your problem. So in the episode. Dexter's lab monkey meets a supervillain chimpanzee named Simeon who wants revenge on humans for not showing him true kindness. Um, So he was like the first monkey in space, but the mission went wrong and he got flung into a radiation belt and then got all mutated. I think his brain's like growing out of his head or something. I can't quite remember. Um, But and and so he's really angry about it. He feels like he's been forgotten and, and like no one really liked him. But just as he's about to destroy the Earth, 
Dexter's monkey pulls out this banana and he's like, look, this is a banana. Some humans gave me it. And Simeon's like, oh my God, I was wrong all this time. The humans are really nice. <laughs> and and it's all a happy ending. And Simeon returns to a forest on earth and he takes off all his clothes and he starts a new life happily swinging through the trees. So, you know, don't be like Simeon was. Don't ra- <laughs> don't judge people rashly because that could turn you into someone like, you know, really bad that you don't want to be. A six hours prep really stood you in good stead, Liam, didn't it? <laughs> is that a criticism? Is that a criticism, or is that sincere? <laughs> no, you got you got to Dix's lab. Well done. <laughs> that was his challenge for the week. If you can, if you can get to Dexter's lab. So um, Aaron doxed me because I'm going to talk about dread. <laughs> Everything bad that ever happens to Carl is doxing. I'm doxed constantly. <laughs> so, uh, we've, we've spoken about Dread before. We all like it, but Liam fell asleep. Yeah, yeah that's right. I was around errands, yeah. funnily yeah. enough. And we, you put it on. It was, it was really late. We've been like, we've been out or something. And I was a bit tired. And your, your city was very comfortable. <laughs> I lay down to watch the film and then I fell asleep. Yeah, it's mm. outrageous. And you haven't outrageous. revisited outrageous. So um, it came out in 2012, almost a deco- decade old. Mm. How old do you Same feel? Same year as uh, Mockingjay Part Two. Indeed. No, yeah. Hunger Games One. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember you saying that was 2012. Directed by Pete Travis, not Travis of Why Would It Always Rain on Me. <laughs> Is that a band or is his name Travis? No, it's it's a band. I don't think anyone in the band is called Travis. (laughs) Except their lead singer, Pete Travis, who also directs films. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dredd, Judge Dredd, who Dredd is named after. (laughs) (laughs) Are you trying to fill the time time here? Because you've made no notes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm done. I'm done. Um, it's funny how I really, really love this film, and I was aware of Judge Dredd painfully because of the Sylvester Stallone film before that. Mm. But it's not massively well known. Dredd um, the film? No, just the, the concept of Judge Dredd the character. Oh, mm. I think I think I no. think he's well known enough for people to say, "Yeah, I've heard of him." But he's... I think there was a cartoon when we were kids, wasn't there? That rings a bell. That no one ever really watched. Mm. Like it wasn't very popular. Mm. He's not. He's a bit of a weird character, is he, isn't he? Is Before... he a robot? What, what's the story? No, you're no. thinking of RoboCop. Oh yeah, <laughs> which was heavily based on the Dread comics. Justified. Mm. Which um, <laughs> um, it actually... no, that was Justin Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> when um, Sylvester Sloan's Dread film was Judge Dread film was being made, it was delayed a few years to not be too close to RoboCop because they thought they were too similar. Not that they, oh. I don't really see how they are similar. So Judge Dredd is a man. He's the law. So the police in um, this dystopian future are called judges because there's too much crime to deal with through a system. There is a system. Mm. And um, what they call the prisons, something box or, or something cube. Um, yeah, like, I don't remember. You can't be taken to the isolation cube or whatever. Yeah, so basically judges are given the authority to be judge, jury, executioner when they're out about. So it law is very binary. It's you've broken this law, that carries a sentence of death, I'm going to now execute you here and now. 
Mm. Um, so you need to be very careful with your judgments. And obviously, like law, they, they their decisions are evidence based. So I think they do have to investigate. Go on. The people are real. The cases <laughs> are real. The rulings are, are final. final. <laughs> Can you imagine if there was a reality show of Judge Dredd? Wait, is that be amazing? Is Judge Judy part of the Judge Dredd universe? <laughs> she starts off the uh, progression of society from <laughs> judges being part of a system to branching out on their own and executing people in the streets. Yeah. She does. Have you not seen the later series of Judge <laughs> Judy? <laughs> I don't want to hear it. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> so um in the film, it's really it's set in like one tower block. It's uh it's a brilliant film, just to, from the outset. Mm. It's an absolutely brilliant film. Set in a very very tight uh setting, just one tower. It's called it well, cities are now mega cities. So there's what's the outside called? I I should have learnt more about like the law, but it's like the waste or something, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, I can't remember. It's, like, it's been it's years like, since I've watched it. I love it. Though. I fell asleep. They don't, they don't actually mention it in the film, <laughs> I don't think. But um, it's in the Sylvester Stallone one. But uh, essentially, mm. outside of these mega cities is like nuclear fallout. So everyone lives together in like billions of people in one city, and so they've got these huge tower blocks where hundreds of thousands live. Um, so this one's set in, pe- in peach trees. Uh, peach trees is run by like a, a drug dealer played by Lena Headley. Headley? Heady? Heady. Heady, yeah. yeah. Um, he's a uh, She's a mama in it. That's her name. Mm. And she's a drug dealer, this drug that slows everything down. Um, yeah. Oh, fuck. What's that called? Slow-mo. Slow-mo, isn't it? Slow-mo. Is it? Oh. I think so, yeah. It's unimaginative, um, unimaginative isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he gets called to Peachtree's because there's been a murder on the ground floor. And he's taking a rookie. It's murder on the ground floor. On the ground floor. So he takes a rookie with her, with him. As another aside, Carl Urban plays Dread in this. And to play Dread, mm. you have to have a really gravelly voice. And you have to... <laughs> oh, it's all played in the chin. Because you only see his chin with his helmet on. <laughs> and like... um, mate, It's just brilliant. I could play Dread because here's, yeah. here's my Dread chin. Oh, that's a good chin. <laughs> For the listeners, oh, I wish... Carl is proudly displaying his chin. <laughs> <laughs> Stage directions. Carl displays chin. <laughs> yeah, so he takes the rookie with him. The rookie doesn't wear a helmet because she's like um, a mutant. She's psychic. And the helmet disrupts that, um, which she doesn't like because taking your helmet off is a violation. And she basically, she's on this call. She's got to pass to become a judge. So she hasn't got her stripes yet, if you like. So she's already failed by not having a helmet, which Dredd doesn't like. But um, mm. he judges her. Her name's Anderson. He judges her from the outset. Like, you're not going to make it. You're not wearing a helmet. You're shit. Um, but she actually saves his life. And Dredd comes in contact with other judges who are actually corrupt. And he doesn't know that. He, he judges them wrongly because he thinks, oh, the cavalry's arrived. But they're not the cavalry. They're there to kill Dredd. Um, and she saves mm. him from them. And so whilst... Judging is, you know, if if you're good at judging, it's going to come in handy because you know like who to avoid, who not to avoid. But like Aaron said, it's a bit it's difficult for Dredd. It's his job; he has to judge. But if mm. you can judge, but then investigate a little bit, 
outburst, don't use that to cloud the way you deal with the people, then um, it's not a bad thing to do necessarily. We we almost had um, sorry, um, we almost had the dread we wanted back when Sylvester Stallone made his one in the nineties, but he's never he never heard of Judge Dread, and he read the script. Mm. He was like, "This is too this is too dark, man." And he basically <laughs> ripped it to shreds, made it, and he said, this should be an action comedy. So they changed <laughs> it to an action comedy. And the worst thing he done was he um, he spends a lot of the film about the helmet on, which is a big no-no. In the comics, mm. Judge Dredd has only removed his helmet once in like 75 years or whatever of comics. And when he, when he did remove it, they put a sensor banner over his face. So... <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester Sloan had ruined it, basically. Carl, how much would you have to be paid for someone to remove your helmet? <laughs> I, I never remove my helmet. <laughs> no amount of money could make me enjoy life without my helmet. Carl takes his judging very I'm, seriously. <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> Problems. On to problem two. One of my relatives is one of those extremely well-travelled, intelligent people who everyone finds really interesting and who has an amazing story for every occasion. Everyone in the family loves seeing him and they always sit there captivated by everything he says. However, I just think he's the most boring person in the world. All he wants to do is talk about his sophisticated friends and how interesting and important they are. And his stories are so long that I often struggle to stay awake for the endings. To be honest, I even suspect that everyone who claims to love his stories might just be pretending to seem clever and sophisticated themselves. We've got a load of family events coming up. How can I learn to cope with this boring man? It's a bit brutal, isn't it? Yeah. I'm a bit worried, to be honest, that this might be one of my relatives talking about me. <laughs> he's so successful. He's got a podcast. He's a writer. <laughs> he's just so interesting, and his friends are so sophisticated. Oh, yes, not me, actually. <laughs> are we getting from this problem that the guy's arrogant about it? I'm not. Yeah, it's all oh, a matter yeah, of perspective, isn't it? Because some people just get quite jealous when someone is... Um, well-loved like this. I mean, some people are well-annoying. Mm. Like, they love to hold court and stuff, don't they? So, I don't know. I don't know whose side I'm on at the moment, Carl. I, I I'll like... hear out you and Liam first before I make judgments. <laughs> Should we call this person before... Judy, then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like whenever I meet people like this, uh, I'm usually quite pleased that I don't have to worry about awkward silences. I think we've already established I'm not really much of a talker outside of carefully scripted situations. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to, um, like when you're going into work in the morning in the office, have you got like a small talk uh, cue card that you carry around with you <laughs> to script out your conversation? I, I have to have one for every one of my colleagues. I'm like, how's the, one sec, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I know we get a lot of stick for turning on our listeners. Sorry, turning on our listeners. <laughs> That's well, not what I meant doing, to say. <laughs> are we doing ASMR again? Yeah. Since that sex episode, honestly. We... 
who tripled our followers. What I was, what I meant to say there was, we get a lot of stick for turning our listeners' problems back on them and telling them that they're the ones with the problem. Well, they know that, but you know, we, you know, with all the victim blame <laughs> yeah. stuff. But I also think it's important to understand how you come across from the neutral perspective. That that's the that's the uh, disclaimer for I'm about to uh, turn your problem yeah. back on you. <laughs> I'm about to turn you on. And when when I read this, my first thought, <laughs> to be honest, was that this boring person doesn't actually seem that boring, but it does mm. seem like they're bugging you. So I'm going to do an agony oh. art first here, and I'm going to give bugging, you the benefit of the me. doubt. Exactly. Is it? Can't you stop bugging me? Uh, Judy, you're probably already trying to avoid this person to some extent. And I was thinking one option you have here is you could be quite honest and direct. And when these situations come up, when you don't have any choice but to talk, you could take inspiration from a certain song by the police and politely but firmly ask him to please don't stand so close to me. So Don't Stand So Close To Me was released in 1980. Uh, do either of you know what the song's really about? Have we had this conversation before? Oh, God, it feels like we have. Coronavirus. Um, COVID-1960. <laughs> 1980. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'll give you a clue from the first opening verse. Young teacher, the subject of schoolgirl fantasy. She wants him so badly. Knows what she wants to be. Inside him, there's longing. This girl's an open page. Bookmarking. So close now. This girl is half his age. I like the way he tries to make bookmarking sound sexy in that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd bookmark her. <laughs> <laughs> Favourite of that. <laughs> um, so it's about a, a teacher and... His pupil nearly having an affair. There's literally a line in this song that says, just like, uh, oh, what is it? It's something like, just like the bloke in that book by Nabokov or something like that. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> uh, and it's even creepier given that um, Sting, Gordon Sumner, was a teacher, wasn't he? Before well, he was a rock star. Let's get into that, shall we? Jesus I found fucking some... Christ, Sting. Is his name Gordon Sumner? Yeah, is it? Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, let, let's let's get into this Sting's background because I found some quite disturbing quotes on on this. So, so we're finally getting into that investigative journalism <laughs> that we wanted to get into. <laughs> so, the police released a book in 1981 called *L'Historia Bandido*, um, which I know exists because it's documented as a source for a lot of police facts online. Um, it's quite difficult to get hold of, though. I don't think it's in print anymore, so you have to get like a second-hand edition and things like that. Um, but So I wasn't able to get a copy, but it seems to be a biographical-slash-promotional book about the band in which they talk about their music. On the subject of Don't Stand So Close To Me in this book, Sting was quoted as saying, and this, this was also published on Sting.com, I wanted to write a song about sexuality in the classroom, I'd done teaching practice at secondary schools, secondary schools, and <laughs> been through the business of having 15-year-old girls fancying me. 15-year-old girls, remember that? And me really <laughs> fancying them. Oh, my God. What the how, fuck? How I kept my hands off them, I don't know. What? So, uh, just a brief... No. Oh, Gordon. 
<laughs> just a brief note to say our, our lawyers here at Agony Art have urged me to make it clear that Sting has always maintained that he was never anything but professional when in the classroom and no evidence has ever been found to prove the contrary to our knowledge. But a, a slightly less dark fact about this song. Can either of you name the Dire Straits song that Sting performed background vocals on in 1985? Um, with the Sultans. <laughs> We're the Sultans of... No, it was Money for Nothing. Of Sting. That was the backing vocal. Um, it was Money for Nothing, and despite not really writing any of it, Sting has a songwriting credit on it, because when he ad-libbed his line, I want my MTV, he went, I want my MTV. Um, he accidentally used the same melody as... Uh, one of the lines in Don't Stand So Close to Me. And when oh, the police's no. lawyers found out, they had a field day and got him a songwriting credit on it. <laughs> what an arsehole. Honestly, this guy. <laughs> fucking hell. So <laughs> that was a very... I can't believe we're starting some sting beef. The sting today. beef starts here. <laughs> Friend of the show. <laughs> no more. So that was a very long-winded way of getting to a very simple suggestion, which is if you don't like him, keep your distance. And if he won't keep his distance, stay. Don't stand so close to me. Uh, yeah, that was quite a simple suggestion, Liam. So I don't really know how to segue into mine because mine isn't a simple suggestion. <laughs> mine has actually had some thought put into it. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, no, I think we've all... We've, I mean, as I said in the beginning, I can see this from both sides because um, there are very interesting people out there and sometimes it's a bit out of order if you don't like them because actually you're just being a bit jealous. But some people who are very interesting to other people are actually pretty fucking boring to you because you're like, fuck's sake, you're always going on about your life. So, yeah, I can kind of see both sides, but I'm going to talk about one of those sides, which is the... You know, we've all met people who everyone else seems to love, but we just don't click with them. And it can feel like you're the problem because, you know, how can it be that everyone else loves that person, but you don't? Are you not smart enough, not sophisticated or cool enough? You know, why is it only you that can see that they're annoying? But I think that you can just chill out. Like, there's nothing wrong with not liking someone or something that everyone else likes. And in fact, it can be quite good to break away from the crowd. Maybe, you know, it shows how um, perceptive you are. And the examples that I'm going to use for that is classic books and how some people really fucking love them and some people just don't get them. And the biggest example I'm going to use is Ulysses by James Joyce. Have you two read it? My Ulysses is a song, in it? <laughs> yeah, by Sting. My Ulysses. <laughs> uh, I've not read it. it. I've, I've read it the about... Odyssey, but I don't think they're yeah. related in any way, are they? I was going to ask, is it about Odysseus? It's or... a reference to that, yeah. Yeah, it's basically, it's a modernist novel which uses stream of consciousness, experimental prose, puns, and parodies to take us, the reader on the longest, most confusing and most frustrating journey through a single day, it all happens in one day, that you could imagine. It's 730 pages. So you didn't like it from the off? 
<laughs> it didn't start well for me. Um, Are you read it then? Sorry, did you say? Yeah, I have read it. Yeah, it took me probably a year. <laughs> of solid read reading as well I was <laughs> just locked in a room I had a big beard by the end of it I stank <laughs> I, I was about to say I don't I think um stream of consciousness writing is a bit hit and miss but then I thought does it ever mm. hit <laughs> <laughs> yeah to be fair I yeah it doesn't I'm not a big fan to be honest I get what they're trying to do but I just don't think it works like I just like some people love it, as I say, they just. But I always think this is fucking tedious, <laughs> and I just want you to get to the point. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, as I say, people absolutely fucking love this book. They think it's the best thing that's ever been written, Vladimir Nabokov, and it's mad that we've mentioned him twice. <laughs> Friend of the show, <laughs> yeah, under two uh, different people have mentioned him in one problem. Uh, Vladimir Nabokov, who wrote Lolita, obviously called it a divine work of art. T.S. Eliot said, I hold this book to be the most important expression which the present age has found. It is a book to which we are all indebted, from which none of us can escape. And he said about people who don't understand it, because as I say, it's easy to get through the whole book and not understand a word you've just read. He said, the next generation is responsible for its own soul. A man of genius is responsible to his peers, not to a studio full of uneducated and undisciplined coxcombs. So I, I don't know what it made him pretty angry. means, but it sounds really out of order. <laughs> yeah, he had to use a complicated word, didn't he, to show how smart he is, twat. <laughs> that's quite it's a, not in T.S. Eliot beef. That's quite a bold statement to make about a book, isn't it? If, I feel like if someone said that about yeah. a book in these days, people would just laugh at them. Yeah, exactly. Um, Joyce Carol Oates thinks it's the greatest novel in the English language. Salman Rushdie said, Joyce is always on my mind. I carry him everywhere with me. And people who love it seem to be so proud of themselves for loving it. The way they talk about it, it seems that if you don't get it, just like T.S. Eliot, they want you to feel like you're just not smart enough. You've, it's your problem if you don't get this because it's just amazing. You can't be blamed for not getting it. You're just a simpleton. We can't all have massive brains like T.S. Eliot. You really don't like this T.S. Eliot fellow. <laughs> <laughs> but how many of those people are just nodding along, pretending to get it, just so that they don't get cast out by their big-brained buddies? Mm. Well, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying this is a common thing, but... Not everyone cares about pretending to like it. Some people are brave enough to say what they really think. I'm going to give you some Goodreads review highlights. Ike says, life is too short to read Ulysses. <laughs> <laughs> D says, pretentious and unreadable drivel. And Chad says, if anyone tells you how marvellous, daring or revolutionary this book is, just throttle them with a stick because they're stupid ponces. <laughs> <laughs> and Carl Radek, who was a famous activist, called it a heap of dung crawling with worms photographed by a cinema camera through a microscope. I don't really get the relevance of that last bit, but <laughs> <laughs> my point is there's nothing wrong with you just because you don't like something or in this case, someone that everyone else likes. And you don't have to pretend to like this person just so that you fit in. You know, as you said in your problem, I think that 
everyone who claims to love his stories might just be pretending to seem clever and sophisticated themselves. I think that might be a problem that some Ulysses lovers have. And actually, they're just too scared to say, I didn't really get it. I don't think it's that good. Hmm. But you can break away from the crowd, Judy. So Judy was asking about how to how she can learn to cope with him. So was there the was there advice for that there or? Yeah, my advice is you should say to him, don't stand so. <laughs> don't stand so. Don't stand so close to me. That's great advice, Aaron. <laughs> I wish like someone else would have thought of that. <laughs> if only there was a song that reflected that. <laughs> so this um this problem reminded me of season one of Cobra Kai from 2018. Are you so going to this? Because I was planning on watching it. No, I'm not. He waxes on, Liam, and then he waxes off. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> he waxes your mum off. No, he doesn't really. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you said, no, he doesn't really, as if I thought it might be true. <laughs> mum, were no, you I in just, Kai? <laughs> No, I, I just thought, I just thought this is, this is Lee, Liam's mum I'm offended here. I really don't want to do that. It's a lovely one. <laughs> She's one of our only listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Hi, mum. Um... Hello, Liam's mum. Shout out. <laughs> this episode is dedicated to Liam's mum. <laughs> um, so in Cobra Kai, I'm not gonna. I'm actually barely gonna tell you any of the plot, Liam. Don't worry. But um, it the film opens with Johnny Lawrence, who is the guy that Daniel Russo beat in the All Valley Tournament in Karate Kid One. You karate shit. No, that's no, Karate Kid Three. To three. Yeah. Oh, oh, shit. So <laughs> My references are shit. <laughs> that was the bad boy cry. Um, no, this was um, so uh, Johnny Lawrence. He lost that, and then his life kind of went a bit downhill. And Daniel Lurisso also stole his girlfriend back in time. So the great thing about Cobra Kai is you see the whole thing from his perspective. This new guy comes to town, steals his girlfriend, even though he's a bully and an arsehole. He didn't see it that way at the time. He was just one of the guys. Beats him in the All Valley Tournament, takes karate away, the only good thing he was good at, and now he's a bum. And it's all because of Daniel fucking LaRusso. Daniel Russo, on the other hand, he's got, you know, he's a celebrity because he's a karate, because his town loves karate. Um, he won the tournament twice. <laughs> it's the karate twice. town. <laughs> <laughs> he won the tournament twice, obviously. Um, now he's got a string of very successful car dealerships, and his face is all over town. Like Daniel Russo, he when every time you buy a tree, he gives you a, sorry, every time you buy a car, he gives you a bonsai tree because he's karate guy, you know. <laughs> he sells cars. Yeah, he's a car salesman. Oh. He's chopping prices and kicking out the competition. You know, he's doing Hey-o. all that. <laughs> Is that um what he actually says in the show, or did you just make that up? No, I think he says it in the show. Hang on. If you, oh, oh, if no, you can't make a living from professional <laughs> karate in this universe, why do they all do it? <laughs> Very good question. Very good question. It's just a hobby everyone has, Liam, <laughs> like podcasting in our world. <laughs> yeah, so, so Daniel's got a nice house, lovely family, very successful big business. Uh, he's known throughout the whole place. He goes to the country club, you know. Johnny Lawrence is... Doesn't see his kid anymore. He's divorced from his wife. I think his mum's dead. Um, he's getting allowances from his stepdad because he's always in trouble. He's always drinking. He lives in a little bedsit and he's he's a handyman. 
Nothing wrong with handyman, but he doesn't like his life. He gets fired for being a handyman because he uh, puts a TV in the wrong place and um, calls a woman a bitch when she complains about it. <laughs> I was uh, thinking before that, <laughs> TV in the wrong place isn't that bad. <laughs> no. Why do you get fired for that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, bitch will do it. Bitch will do it, yeah. <laughs> um, so his life's going nowhere. So whilst he blames Daniel Russo, Daniel Russo is this guy that everyone loves and he's looking at him thinking, what a prick. So that's you know that's kind of uh, how I saw this. So maybe what what Johnny Lawrence doesn't realise is that he's the master of his own destiny, and a lot of the things that have gone wrong are because he's not really tried, and he's he's allowed himself to blame other people. So I think if you feel a little bit threatened by this, maybe there's something missing, and you need to kind of think about what do you need to go and do? Make your own stories, you know, build your own legacy, and uh, mm. maybe you'll feel a little bit better about, it and you'll have something to say at the party as well. Ranger came arranging to Old Town one fine day. The town folk came to meet him. They heard what he had to say. He said, I hear this town's got problems, some outlaws on the run. And I've come to solve these problems with my problem gun. Word soon got to these outlaws about a ranger new in town. And they soon came out of hiding to put this ranger down. They laughed when they first saw him beneath the high noon sun. But he soon stopped them from laughing with his problem gun. Problem gun. Problem gun. Yeah, the ranger solved their problems with his problem gun. On to problem... The problem three. Three. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. <laughs> I've recently realised that I might be a loner. I've been thinking for years that I had a close friends list, but the other day I suddenly realised that that list has virtually no one on it. It's not a big deal, after all. I've survived like this for years without even knowing it. But I do wonder if I should make more effort to make some friends, just to see what it's like. What do you guys reckon? Now, obviously, Carl, you famously have a close friends list. Do you, do you ever have to do maintenance on your close friends list to ensure the friends count doesn't get too big or too small? Um, no, I think um, in a later episode, after hearing that, I recognise what an arsehole I sounded like when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> the applications uh, are being accepted to be my friend. <laughs> I think uh, you're being a bit harsh on yourself, Carl. I don't think you sounded like an arsehole. I think you might have just worded it badly. Hmm. So I think a lot of people feel like that, don't they? A lot of people feel like, I don't really need any new friends. Oh, any of us <laughs> do things where you go to like, you know, I'm going to go to this uh, improv class to make friends. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not. <laughs> improv class to make friends. How many improv classes do you go to? About four or five, but none to make friends. <laughs> Liam, how much would F- someone have to pay you to go to an improv class where you're not allowed to script anything? Uh, I think I'd probably benefit from that, wouldn't I? I think, I think you would. Yeah, you should go. Yeah. Yeah. So they can... I thought you'd have a meltdown on your first attendance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone will clap. Wow, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When he's actually having a real panic attack. <laughs> I quite enjoyed um, how this person found out they had no friends on their list. Like, 
What they what they see like? I'm gonna organize poker with the guys. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> there are no guys. Wait a minute, there are no guys. <laughs> what name are we going to give him? The Lone Ranger, <laughs> or just Ranger? Ranger. Right, range. One of um, literature and film's greatest loners. Anyone guess? The Lone Ranger. Batman. The Lone Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I didn't think of Batman. Well done, Liam. But, um, that wasn't me. That was Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a clue. I've got a golden ticket. Willy Wonka. Or Charlie no, Bucket. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Charlie Bucket was a bit of a loner, wasn't he? No, not Wrong. really. He loved his family, didn't he? Willy Wonka didn't really have a family, mm. apart from the Oompa Loompas. Um, so we, all, oh, we must have all seen Willy Wonka. This is one 90- of the few films I know very well. <laughs> 1971, directed oh. by Mel Stewart. Starring Liam. Charlie Bucket. Mike TV. <laughs> <laughs> Gene Wilder. Oh, yeah, of course. In a great role. He's the only that, um, actor that everyone knows in it, isn't he? It, well, it's funny because the only reason I didn't answer you was like, I thought Gene Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> and then in my head, I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. I can't say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> now, talking of improv, I'm going to um, hopefully Aaron keeps that bit in. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think this is true that the forward role at the beginning where, where you meet Willy Wonka do you remember it? Yeah, yeah. He's coming out he of a walking cane, stick doesn't he? falls over there's a forward role I believe that was mm. improv. Are you telling me that Gene Wilder could actually do a forward role? I'm telling you. <laughs> can you not? I, I don't think I've tried since I was at school. <laughs> exactly. I reckon you could, Liam. Well, I, I always thought it was one of those scenes where like a stuntman does it and then they like pop the actor up in front of the camera at the end of it <laughs> for a forward role. It kind of looks like that, doesn't it? I've not seen it in a while. Talking of forward roles and fraud, I went, I took them. Um... <laughs> I can't <laughs> wait to hear this story. <laughs> I, t- I took my little boy to a birthday party um, last week. He's got loads. He's got a party every week now. It's crazy. Um, he's so social. He's got. He's, he hasn't got a closed list. He's building his list. No. In fact, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, he's got an open list, and he hates doing forward roles. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. And he always gets stuck, and he always falls to the side. And this, these two, these, they had like these party kind of officiators where they get all the kids dancing, playing games and stuff. Organized. These fun. two girls, organized fun, exactly. Yeah, and they were like. <laughs> The best dancers will get a suite. Suddenly, my little one is forward rolling around the hall. <laughs> <laughs> around this woman's feet. Like, and just looking up at her like, like Willy Wonka. <laughs> arms in the air. Love- over and over again. I love that forward roll is dancing as well. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine on, um, on Strictly. It's just forward rolling around the dance floor. Better than Your my dance forward rolling was amazing, darling. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyway what happens in Willy Wonka um, well I'm not going to go through like we've all seen it to death but imagine getting to your twilight years you want to stop working or you know you've got the fruits of your labour to give away and there's no one there you have to go through the rigmarole of putting golden tickets in chocolate bars to make friends or get people to be in your life so you know to, to entice children into your chocolate factory Exactly. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it might not be a big deal, but 
it's kind of nice to have people in your life. So maybe make some effort, go to an improv class. Don't be Willy Wonka suddenly having a realisation that, fuck, I need people in my life, apart from Oompa Loompas. <laughs> so I'll give you a very quick... Uh, Pop quiz, asshole. Oh, lovely. Buzzy, well, this is a tricky one, actually. Should I ask you the child, give you the child name and ask what happens to them, or do you want to guess both child name and both event? I could do both. I know you could do both. Can Aaron <laughs> do both? I probably won't do many. So, all right, I'll we can ask... do whatever you want. All right, let's ask Aaron. You go right, Aaron. You go first. Who is okay. the first child to get where an incident happens? Uh... Oh, I don't know. Over to, over to Liam. Augustus Gloop by the chocolate stream. He tries to drink the chocolate out of the stream and then he falls in and he gets sucked up into this pipe thing. Yep. Yeah, as um, I've written down, he gets sucked up the chocolate tube. <laughs> <laughs> right, Aaron. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Second child. <laughs> the only one I know is Violet, all right? Oh, okay. Violet, what happens to Violet? <laughs> is, that, is that number two? Number two, yeah. Is she? Oh, good. It's uh, she. Um, oh, I can't remember how it happens, but she basically turns into a blueberry, doesn't she? She does. She turns into a giant blueberry. She eats a prototype chewing gum. Am I right, Liam? Yeah. Don't you hate it when you have prototype uh. chewing gum and it turns you into a blueberry? It's <laughs> <laughs> always the worst. Yeah. All right, Liam. I'll let you finish him off. Number three. Veruca Salt. Uh, depending on which film you watch, different things happen. But in the original, mm. she wants a goose that lays a golden egg, and she ends up standing on the scales that tell them whether the egg's good or bad, and it says she's a bad mm. egg, and she falls through into the mm. trash. No, into uh, incinerator. incinerator the way to the it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the last one? Uh, Mike TV. Yeah. He's up there, floating above us in a million pieces. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he wants to be the first boy who gets transferred into the television, um, but he doesn't think about the fact that it will make him much, much smaller than he is. So he becomes yeah. very, very tiny. And in the remake uh, with Johnny Depp, they stretch him out. And at the end, you see him all stretched out. Yeah, he's 10 <laughs> feet tall, yeah. yeah. Wait, I'm not sure. Did that happen in the original book? I, I'm not sure. Given Liam's uh, normal total <laughs> lack of film knowledge, I'm shocked by how well he knows this one. <laughs> when he knows a film, he really knows a film. That's the problem. Basically, <laughs> I watched a lot of films when I was a kid, and then I just stopped. <laughs> yeah, so what well are Liam. You win this week's pop quiz, <laughs> so. Yay. <laughs> I'm going to say that I don't think you need to do anything, Ranger. Fair enough. As Carl says, I do basically agree that you don't want to get to old age and realise that I wish I had made friends, but now I haven't. I've wasted my opportunity. Um, But also, I just don't think you need to rush it. You know, being a loner right now isn't necessarily a bad thing because... You know, some of literature's greatest characters have been loners. I've covered some of them in previous examples, which I didn't want to repeat. One of them being uh, Holden Caulfield from um, Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. So I won't retread that ground. What I'm going to tell you about is The Rosie Project by Graham Simpson. And it tells the story of genetics professor Don Tillman, who doesn't fit in very well with people and he struggles to have relationships with women because he's a bit socially awkward. And he kind of wants to date people, but he doesn't really understand why he has so much trouble doing so because he thinks, well, I've got a high IQ. I've got 
good health, good finances, why don't women want to flock to me? So what he does is he comes up with a questionnaire, which he intends to uh, quiz women with to find himself the perfect mate. But as in all the best rom-coms, he meets Rosie, who meets very few of these criteria, (laughs) and throws his plan completely off course. Now, as I say, that's a very rom-com thing, isn't it? It's uh, It sounds like a trailer. (laughs) (laughs) This summer. (laughs) Uh, The point being that, and this is the point of all those rom-coms as well, that if you, Ranger, make a, you know, you say, um, should I make more effort to make some friends? What are you going to do? Are you going to make a plan to, you know, try and ensnare some friends? (laughs) If you go out with a plan to make friends or find a lover like uh, Don Tillman did in The Rosie Project, life has no respect for these plans. You're not going to find love by making a questionnaire, just like you're not going to make friends by stepping out of your house in the morning and going, today I'm going to make friends. I think you find shit like that. Why is that like like, uh, Batman? Where are all the friends? <laughs> Where are they hiding? Do you want to know which of your friends were cowards? <laughs> you haven't got any. <laughs> Why is the Joker outside my house? <laughs> Look, you're going to find love or find friends in this case. Love, because I'm talking about the Rosie Project still, but you're going to find friends, Ranger, when luck and circumstance and fate... I don't believe in fate, but decides that you should, not when you, you know, make a plan to do it. So if you're happy the way you are right now and you haven't even noticed that you're a loner until now, just carry on the way you are. If you're going to make friends along the way, then that will just happen. Just let it happen. I don't think you need to change the way you're living, Ranger. If you're happy, you be you. You do you, boo. So my my gut reaction to this pickle was pretty much that. It was, you know, you don't need anyone else. Good for you. Go your own way. Be a maverick like Mel Gibson. But Is this Fleetwood Mac again? <laughs> well, no, because I got to thinking about songs that would back this up. And I really couldn't find many. That might surprise you. But, you know, I looked for at least five minutes. So <laughs> I think it would be totally reasonable, in fact, to suggest that music is very much an activity that requires groups of people to come together if not to produce it and definitely to share it and you know while there's a lot of songs about being a rebel and doing your own thing nine times out of ten they actually involve doing it with someone else like a group of your friends for example Mm. i didn't actually make any notes of examples of that there were loads and i've forgotten all of them (laughs) anyway i went in a slightly different direction i went back to an album i probably haven't listened to since it was released in 2004 and it is A Grand Don't Come For Free by The Streets. You told me um, that it's like a whole story, isn't it? It's a concept album. Hmm. It's one of the weirdest concept albums ever made. It's about a bloke who leaves a thousand pounds in a shoebox on the side in his house, and it goes missing. Um, And he's a very kind of like a... He's like a Londoner. He's Mike Skinner. You know what Mike Skinner's like. He's like, oi, 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 and all this. And... uh, Throughout the album, things happen to him. He starts seeing a girl. He finds out she's having an affair with his mate Dan. He has to dry his eyes after that. And then I want to focus on the last song of the album, Empty Cans. So Empty Cans starts with him sitting alone in his house, drinking all day, thinking he can't rely on anyone. And to make matters worse, his TV stopped working, right? And 
bearing in mind he's just had a week where he's lost a grand and all this bad stuff's happened. So he's got a mate called Scott, and Scott actually knew about the affair between his girlfriend and Dan, but he, had, he didn't tell him straight away because he kind of wanted to stay out of it. And and at the end of the album, Scott rings him up and he's like, "I'll I'll fix your telly if you want, you know, a bit of a peace offering." And the I'm going to call him Mike Skinner. I don't know if he actually the character has an actual name, but Mike Skinner tells him to, and I quote, "Fuck right off, chap." So <laughs> instead, he pulls out the yellow pages and he gets a professional to come around and do it. And a couple of days later, they bring his TV back and they tell him that they found something in the telly. And he gets furious. He's like, "Oh, they're trying to stitch me up for more money here." Oh, and then it all kicks off. They have a full-blown fight, ending with the TV man slamming his head into the fridge and then running away because he's like, this guy's fucking mental. And finally, he goes back to drinking on his settee while watching This Morning. But, and this is a big but, it's in capital letters, the interesting thing about this album is it presents two possible endings. So after you hear the story of the fight with the TV man, the song rewinds back to the original and apparently starts again. But... If you listen closely, or at all, you'll realise the lyrics are very different. And this time, when Scott offers to fix the TV, the narrator says he feels like telling him to fuck right off chap, but he doesn't. He says, all right, I'll let you come round, let's let bygones be bygones. So Scott comes round and he starts unscrewing the telly and he takes him ages because there's like 15 screws on it. And then Scott's like, oh, hang on, there's something down the back of the telly here. It looks like it might be a bill or something. It's like, oh, I don't want to lose that. It might be important. So they fish it out. And what is it? The grand. It's the grand. So originally I was going to use this example to flippantly say something like having friends is really profitable. You might get a thousand pounds. But despite the mad kind of soap opera-esque drama of a grand don't come for free, the final message is actually quite mature and nuanced. In the last verse of Empty Cans, he raps, or maybe it's that I realise that it is true. No one's really there fighting for you in the last garrison. No one except yourself, that is. No one except you. You are the one who's got your back till the last deed's done. Scott can't have my back till the absolute end because he's got to look out for what's over his horizon. He's got to make sure he's not lonely, not bloke, not broke. It's enough to worry about keeping his own head above. Which I take to mean, you know, you do need to be self-sufficient. You can't expect other people to look after you all the time. But at the same time, going too far the other way can lead to loneliness and despair like the start of the song shows. So it's best to strike a good balance. And that is my advice. Fix your TV. <laughs> Fix the telly. Get your grand back. <laughs> How did the grand get into the telly? Uh, you mean don't I keep don't anything in your telly? I think we ever find out, but it's like, it seems like someone might have just knocked it down there somehow. But yeah, was the back of the telly off uh. at that point? Probably not. He had to unscrew it quite a lot. So what's going on there? Who knows? Well, he might have been drunk or stoned and hid it there. He could have been. He does take a lot of drugs on this album as well. I'm pretty sure it's not a flat screen. <laughs> <laughs> Was this a check? Because it wouldn't fit in a flat screen telly. <laughs> oh, that's a good album. A good example, Liam. Well done. Well, thank you very much. So It's a shame that concept albums aren't like concept cars, isn't it? Where the... They never get made. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's all we have time for today. Check out the episode notes on agonyartpodcast.com to find links to all the media we mentioned today and for a link to the Agony Art Spotify playlist where you can listen to all of the songs. If you have a problem you'd like us to attempt to solve, you can reach out on our group Instagram and Twitter accounts. That's at Agony Art Podcast or on the submissions page on our website, agonyartpodcast.com. I would like to thank our resident Agony Ants for their contributions today. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Carl. 
You are welcome. You're welcome, darling. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more problems to muddle our way through and more entertainment for you to check it, check it out. See ya. Bye. You've reached the office, Farron. He says goodbye. But I'd suggest keep it light, cause their advice can be shite, and they won't be held liable. Oh no, not at all, not here, but Agony R. Agony R. Agony R.